series, Radical Choices, it's been focusing on the Apostle Paul, it's been focusing a lot also on this sub-theme of conflict and, and courage, and a lot of what we've been exploring had to do with problems that are being worked out. So we've not only been learning history, through the, primarily the book of Acts and through the ministry and life of Paul, but we've also been learning, uh, hopefully, about how to apply principles in our Christian life or our life of faith with God. And so we're going to pick back up with something that we left off with last week. It's a remarkable moment. If for nothing else, then there are a few things like it that are described in the scripture. It's almost hard to believe. You know, Paul and Barnabas were the first team, core team, to ever be sent out from a church to take the message of Jesus to places where it had never been shared. And we've spent a lot of time looking at that last week, what a remarkable friendship they developed and how important Barnabas had been to Paul. You know, when he was Saul, he was, as many of us know, not a follower of Jesus. He hated Jesus. He said he did. He despised all that Jesus represented. He thought it was a false way, a corrupter of his religion, as it were. And he wanted to get rid of the church, the early believers. And then he had this remarkable transforming moment. And, and he's changed. And Barnabas was a key part of his, his growth as a follower of Jesus, his being welcomed into the community of faith had a lot to do with Barnabas. Remember, it was Barnabas who believed in him, the legitimacy of his conversion or of his transformation when nobody else did. Everybody was afraid of him and thought he was just trying to, you know, play a trick to get in, into the inner workings of the community of, of believers. And, and he was, but it was sincere. But Barnabas, who had a highly established reputation already in the church as a leader, um, made an effort to do what no one else was willing to do. He put his arm around Saul then. His name was Saul at the time. And um, he says, I believe in what God's doing in your life. And, and he basically sponsors him. And they begin to form this great friendship. Barnabas is a little older. Paul's a little younger. But they will become the first great team to ever take the message of Jesus out. Now, again, across the waters. Now, let's, let's sort of review that. Acts 15, verses, we'll just read verse 36 here. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. Now, I want to go ahead and put the map up real quick. Again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but I do want everybody to have a reference point. Jerusalem is where the church begins, almost exclusively a Jewish expression. The apostles are there, the disciples are there, the church is growing. It's kind of like the mother church of the entire movement. But there's something remarkable that's happening in Antioch of Syria. That's where an entire new group of people, Gentiles, non-Jews, have opened up their lives and hearts to the message of Jesus. And together with the Jewish believers there, created a kind of mixed church that had never been seen before. It was very different than Jerusalem. We know that the church in Antioch decides they feel led to send out a team. That team consists of three people. That's what the, that line indicates is where they went. That would be Paul. In this case, it was Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark, their assistant, who was the youngest of the group, uh, a far younger cousin of, of Barnabas. Now, we know that they went on that journey and they established churches. First, they had that amazing experience in Cyprus. You can see where that is. In Cyprus, the, uh, the Roman, what we would call like a governor, the proconsul was, was just uh, stunningly uh, affected by the message of Jesus. In an empower encounter moment, which we talked about, he actually opens up his heart towards the Lord. It was, a, it was an amazing moment. But then what happens is they were at a critical time. They, they achieved a degree of breakthrough in Cyprus and had to decide, what are we going to do next? Should we go back and just you know, celebrate what has happened? Paul, feeling led, and, and Barnabas agreed with him, felt like they needed to keep going. They needed to push 
into places, again, where it was maybe a little more risky. So he, they get on a, a ship, and they, you can see where they go. You can see they cross the waters in the Mediterranean, and they go to, you can see Perga there, leave the port city of Paphos on Cyprus. And there they are on the verge of heading into a place that is extremely dangerous, the highlands of what we now call modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in the past. Uh, that was an area that could get you in trouble. It was risky. Rome didn't have full control over it. It was a bit of a frontier land. There were places that were safer than others, but for Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, it would have been a risk. Evidently, the risk was so much that John Mark decided, their assistant, that he was not willing to do it. And so he basically makes a decision, and we know it really bothered Paul a lot. We can imagine the conversation they have. He's trying to talk him out of it. We need you to hold to your agreement. But it seemed like right on the verge, because what happens when they're at Perga, John Mark decides he's going to go, he's not going with them. You guys can go, I'm not going. And he heads back to Jerusalem. Basically now, Paul and Barnabas are on their own. Now again, sometimes we may not be able to appreciate it, but that's what, what it was basically like, was like losing a third of your team at a most critical moment. When, when you needed someone to show up and to honor their commitment, that's when they, they basically quit. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, again, any of us who've ever felt abandoned by someone, Anyone who's ever felt like we were being deserted here and just kind of left on our own, right when we need you the most, you're quitting? Are you serious? You can imagine Paul, who was fully committed and all in. And I imagine even Barnabas had tried to talk him out of it, but John Mark would have none of it. And he went back. I just can't do it. And whatever his reason was, he ends up leaving. The, the Bible makes it pretty clear that it was not just a kind of like a good excuse. Because look what it says in the, in the uh, 38th verse. It says, Paul disagrees strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So in, the, the word here is deserted. It, it means that, that Paul said, you know, you left. So again, let's imagine that conversation. Um, Paul saying, you know what, we want to go back up to the churches we planted. We haven't seen them for a, a little bit of time now, a couple of years. We need to go back, check in on them, see how they're do, doing, um, really strengthen them, uh, learn about some of the extent of what they're actually you know, having to walk through and work through and just really be a way of, you know, of encouragement and strength. And Barnabas said, you know, I absolutely agree with you. Because again, it wasn't just like an easy decision. It was an extensive journey. Last time, they both had almost died. Let's just be clear. By most accounts, Paul acquired an illness that almost killed him. And then we know that they had been chased out of, out of town more than a few times, assaulted, and in Paul's case, basically beaten to a point of death where they thought he was dead in Lystra, dragged out of city and left for dead. So it was not like, oh, just some ha casual, oh, let's go back and check in on things. It was costly in terms of time and risk. So what happens is something that no one could have envisioned because what occurs next is one of the sadder moments. And again, I don't think <laughs> that Paul or Barnabas, neither one of them could have anticipated that what must have seemed like a, such an innocent proposition could breed such an intense form of disagreement that it would literally bust their relationship apart. And what happened, and again, it started so innocently, Barnabas says, Paul, I, I love the idea. I think we should do it. Let's go back. I'm with you. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He says, you know what, I'd like to bring, um, and, I, and I imagine Barnabas saying something like, now I know, I know, I know, you may not, may not want to, to do this, but I, I really think it would be good for us to bring John Mark with us. 
I know, I know, last time he let us down, but I would like to bring him with us. I think it would be good for him and it would be good for us. Because he'd be a great assistant. I, I still believe, he's grown, he, Paul, he's grown a lot. And I imagine Paul saying, you know, he may, whether he's grown a lot or not, I will not have that man with us. Did you forget already what happened? See, for Paul, it was an immediate connection to something. He hurt, it, it, it seems like it both hurt him and he hadn't forgotten. And not only that, he didn't trust him. Barnabas, you know where we're heading. You know what the risks are. I cannot have someone join our team who has quit on us when we needed it, needed it to be, you know, really. We needed him to stand strongest in that moment, and that's when he left us. He was there when it was easy, and he left when it got hard. No, anybody but John. You bring somebody. Let him figure it out on his own. Let him prove himself somewhere else, not with us. Barnabas says, now come on, Paul. What does it say happens? They start disagreeing strongly. Paul says, basically, he's not coming. Barnabas says, Yes, I, I really do want him to come. Paul says, he's not coming. Barnabas says, I want him to come. He's not coming. I want him to come. If he doesn't come, I'm not going. Then you're not going. And that's how it began. But look what happens next. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp, so intense, it's kind of sad, that they separated. That is what it, how you look at this and you go, what is... Now, for one thing, one of the things that's going to be evident is how different Paul and Barnabas were. Their personalities and their giftings have to be taken into account here. I mean, here were two men who were just wonderful friends. Deeply, both of them loved Jesus intensely. Both of them had committed themselves fully. Both of them had put their lives on the line, been there with one another, suffered with one another, shared the message of Jesus in risky places together, had walked through so much together, and now to, and now to watch this thing just get pushed to a point where it starts to escalate, and then, they, and then to realize they couldn't find a way through it. They couldn't get out of it. It got so strong, so intense, that basically it was like Barnabas is saying, if John Mark doesn't go, I don't go. And Paul says, if, if John Mark's going, I'm not going. Then I guess we're done. Then I guess we're done. And that's how it began. And when, and when you look at it, you go, man, I, I, I think part of it is connected to uh, John Mark and how Barnabas was with him. Because, you know, Barnabas seems to be a person, you know, again, uh, let's just for a moment contrast the two. Paul is all about mission. He, when he's in, he's all in. Uh, he's extraordinarily self-disciplined. In fact, one of the things that's going to distinguish him is that he has a, a, a supreme ability, part of it's his gifting, to just endure enormous hardship. Even though he, I think part of it was connected to what he had once been, because when he was sold out to something, he was one of those, he was totally sold out. And when he had come to a point where he gave himself to Jesus, he was not just halfway in, he was all the way in. He, in fact, he was so intense, he must have scared people. Because he would say things like, you know what? I'm already dead, so you can't kill me. If I go, if you kill me, um, and he wasn't like a violent person. There was no, nothing of that, no desire to be marked. But he basically said, look, if I die in doing the work that Jesus has called me to do, then I actually get promoted. So honestly, you know what? I'm just going <laughs> to like put it all on the line. And um, you know what? He had a high expectation of himself. This was no hypocrite. This was no say one thing and do the other. 
This was a man who lived rigorously, um, who was thoughtful, very intelligent, tenacious in his faith, not necessarily his bodily stature, but in his faith. Very committed. And maybe that's what was so con that's what was such a troubling thing for him with John Mark. Because John Mark may have touched on the very thing that was such in opposition to who Paul was. Because the one thing he wasn't was a quitter. And then John Mark quit on them. Now Barnabas, again, remember his gifting. Very different. Barnabas was noted in the early church. He was loved. He was respected. He was consistent. He was known as uniquely, they gave him a nickname, encourager. I mean, he was generous, hospitable, just a really fine man, a wonderful leader. Remember we talked about this last week, and then early on it was Barnabas who sponsors Paul, believes in him when nobody else did, right? It was Barnabas who, as the initial leader, eventually recognizes, think about the humility in the man, recognizes as Paul is beginning to assert himself, and he can recognize that God is in it, as the leader taking more of a primary leadership role, and it's clear that God's hand is in it, Barnabas is not about himself. He backs, backs down and basically says, you know what, you take the lead, I'll come behind you. And he's the older brother, he's the older one. That's a shift, that takes humility. That's meekness. He loved people. That was one of his great gifts. He believed in people. The same, th the, Paul might say, oh, maybe you got a little blind spot because he's related to you. No, listen, Barnabas will say, look, uh, Barnabas is being consistent with who he is. The same love, the same love for people, the same belief that people deserve uh, another chance, the same way that he, he had treated John, was treating John Mark, honestly, was the same way he had treated Paul when no one else believed in him. Look, God gave you a second chance. God's giving you another chance. Paul, I believe in that. And, and so he's being absolutely consistent with who God, God made him to be. Now, one of the things is, is, is kind of, I found myself when I was, um, you know, one of the questions that's always posed around this is, well, who was more right, Paul or Barnabas? And there's actually a lot to be gained from thinking about it. Um, I think at this, at this stage where I'm at now, I think I have a, personally, it's only personal just a slight lean to Barnabas in this incident. But I'll tell you this, when I was younger, I had a slight lean to Paul. I know that for sure. That might tell you a little bit about where I'm at in my life, maybe even where I was. But I'll say this, that somebody might say, oh, what well, does it really matter? I, I, think they, I think, honestly, they were, they were both right in some ways, and in some ways they were both wrong, or at least less right. And it, each of them had, like I said, I, don't, I, don't, I think each of them had their own kind of unique gifting and way of seeing. Now, what, how it escalated out, that wasn't good. You know? But what we do know is that, is that a lot of this had to do with their own differences. Now, look what ends up happening, okay? It says this in verse 39. It says that what happens is their disagreement was so sharp that they, had to, you know, get, they basically went in different directions. They basically agreed to, I agree, they agreed to disagree. They, they separate. Barnabas, we're told here, takes John Mark with him, and then they sail for Cyprus. So John, John Mark and Barnabas, Barnabas basically says, John Mark, you want to come with me? Mark says, yeah, I do. They, they sail off to Cyprus. Paul, we're told here, chooses Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Again, look at where they went to. Basically what happens is Paul, I mean, well, let's think of it. Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go back to Cyprus. That was also a place where Barnabas was very familiar. His birthplace, he knew the area. He, he works with the churches there. John Mark is with him. 
as his junior partner in ministry. Paul takes a man who had come up earlier with a Jerusalem delegation when they had sent back the letter to affirm the church in Antioch. One of the men had stayed. His name was Silas. Silvanus was a man who was also, like Paul, uniquely equipped to make his way around the Roman world because Silas, we know, like Paul, was a Roman citizen, therefore given access to travel privileges that many people who were not citizens would not have had. It was perfectly a set team for what would ultimately become movement all over the known Roman world. Having said that, Paul basically takes Silas, and what they do is they go up by land, it appears, through, through the region of Syria and Cilicia, and they hit the churches that way. Now, if you think of it just from a practical standpoint, they basically doubled their effectiveness, if you can look at it that way. Um, one of the things that we see here is even as the clash of will was occurring, and I do see it as a clash, Paul's giftings and Barnabas' giftings, they're like, it's like they're, they're coming to points of opposition. John Mark, for Barnabas, is someone who needs to be nurtured. He's fragile, yes, but he has real potential. And Barnabas could see it in him. He saw inside the young man saw what he could become, believed in him, believed he needed to be given grace and mercy, but if he was properly cultivated, he would learn from his mistakes. Paul does not see it that way. And so you see, he's, he's all about our first responsibility is to honor what God has entrusted us with. So they end up, ironically, in their division, in their, in their different way of seeing things, which was not theological. It was philosophical. It was relational. They basically had different ways of seeing. They may have, even in that moment, come to a point where they agreed to disagree. But the bottom line is Barnabas is fine. I'm heading, I'm heading, I'm going to take John Mark then. Paul says, fine, I'll go with Silas. And they ended up going. And again, in a strange way, when the dust settles, they actually doubled their ministry effectiveness. I'm, instead of one team, they're now two teams. The end result, one could argue, is a more effective reach. So although none of us would say, oh, this was a good thing, all of us could say that something good came from it. And then I take that one step further, because here's the question. Some people say, well, then what ended up happening? Did Paul and Barnabas ever become friends again? I don't think they ever, I personally, I think they got over it. We know from the book of Corinthians that Paul speaks very kindly of Barnabas as an associate. I, th I think it's very likely that they, they just basically said, you know what, maybe the Lord is in, we need to go our, our different directions. We'll see. One thing we know is this, that in the long arc, Barnabas was proven to be more correct in terms of his assessment of John Mark. Um, he, he, but having said that, what ends up happening from this point forward, Barnabas and Mark make their way out of the book of Acts. We never see them again in the book of Acts after this moment. It, the book of Acts turns towards Paul and his ministry. Primarily, it's focused on that. Paul and Silas become, and the team, Timothy and others around, around Paul. That's how it starts to develop. But what we know is that Barnabas, again, at some point, he appears to still have been very effective, and, and Paul had a, a, high, a high regard for him. But what about John Mark? What do we know about John Mark? Well, one of the things that's pretty interesting about it is that we know that John Mark grows into a, not only a respected but a legitimate leader. As time goes on, he becomes highly regarded. In fact, he becomes... Some might call it, just as Timothy was a son of the faith to Paul, many people believe John Mark becomes a son of the faith to Peter. Here's why. Look at this verse. This is from the book of Peter, 1 Peter 5. It says, your sister church in Babylon, which is most likely a symbolic substitute for Rome, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. We know that that was John Mark. What we also know is that 
he will write a gospel, through the, which is basically Peter's gospel, we, was, we, we, we were pretty sure about it, that comes through the lens of John Mark. It's the second gospel of the four. Matthew, Mark, that's the same John Mark. That's Peter's, I guess, assistant, his son in the faith, as it were. Now look at this. This is very interesting. Paul would write this from the, from the, to the church in Colossae. He would say this. Um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Um, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, I want you to welcome him. Well, that, that sure sounds like an affirmation to me right there. Then look, look what happens in chapter, in basically in the first chapter of Philemon, which is, there's only one, so verses 23 and 24. Look at this. Epaphros, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Now, John Mark's being referred to as a fellow laborer. Now, finally, in prison, prison, you know, flash forward years. Paul's older. Barnabas is probably already gone, probably already died, been gone with, to be with the Lord. Look what Paul writes to his own son in the faith, Timothy, in his second letter. Look what it says, 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Oh, and, and bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful for me in ministry. Look at that. The older version says, for he's profitable for the ministry. You talk about full circle? Look at that. I mean, wasn't early on Paul saying, oh, by the way, uh, John Mark can't come ever? And just to let you know, if he's coming, we're not together? That's how much I don't want him. Now, wow. Oh, oh, don't forget. Bring Mark, because you know why? Mark, man, he is a help to me in the ministry. We want to talk about going full circle. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That says a lot about how much Mark had changed. It also says a lot about how Paul had changed. I think he had grown as well. I wonder if an older and wiser Paul whispered when he saw Mark walk through when he had a Roman guard. As Paul was confined in a house cell. And, and then later in something more extreme. But... I wonder if when he saw John Mark walk in, part of him whispered, if my old friend Barnabas could only see this now. I think he was right about John. You know, someone, had, someone wrote, uh, it was a writer named Joseph Parker. He said, speaking of Paul's and Mark's relationship, he said, once he, Paul, had said to Mark, in effect, you shall not go because you are a bruised reed and a broken or untrustworthy staff. When weight's put on you, you broke. Having put your hand to the plow, you turned back, and you showed yourself to not be fit for the kingdom of God. But Mark worked under, and I like this poetic phrase, gentle auspices, recovered himself, and became for him, became for Paul, quite a little hero in his own way. It really is fascinating to consider it. You know, if you, and, and again, let's just say this, and I'm going to put this up there because that's the history. That's what happened. To, to how do we apply this? How do we sit with it? How do we engage it? I'll just put this up. This stands out to me like a clarion call. It's like it's so clearly there. Number one, God is the God of second chances. And it never shows up, well, maybe with the exception of Peter, it never shows up in Mar. At least it rarely shows up so, so beautifully like this. Because just because we fail, and he failed, 
It doesn't mean we're banished from God's kingdom. All of us, you know. And by the way, I'm not saying there aren't consequences to decisions. Some of us, there are some things that we can't, when we say a second chance, it doesn't mean we can reset it as if what happened didn't happen. It just means that God isn't done with us. That he can make good even come from the bad. Even sometimes the things that we wish didn't happen, wished we didn't do, wish we didn't. I mean, how hard do you think it was for John Mark? Really, in, even in that moment, not only knowing that he had quit and knowing how Paul felt about him, but then to also know that indirectly he had become the reason that two men that he had deeply respected, especially one that he loved, Barnabas, had actually had such a disagreement that it caused them to go in different directions to know that he was the one that was the, really the cause of that or at least the catalyst for it. That's not that easy to deal with. And, you know, I, I see this because it reminds me that John Mark made a bad choice. And, and you know what? We all make, can make them. We do. We can and do. Some of, them are, some of us have made bad choices and there's tremendous consequences. Some of them less so. Um, but I want to say this. I know this, that all of us are basically... We, the Bible tells it, but we're all... Okay, this is not an excuse. It's just the truth. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And not a one of us here that doesn't need God's grace or doesn't have a blind spot. I mean, Paul had one. Barnabas had one. John Mark clearly did. Um, I think most of us have known the sting of being let down. It's not a good thing. Um, If we're honest, to different degrees, we have let others down. And that's hard. I think I might be really, again, I go back to John Mark, I think one of the hardest things to do is to know that you were the one that caused a lot of this. That's a really hard thing to recover from. And so I think that one of the amazing things here is that we see that John's failure did not seem to just like define him. There are gonna be times when we, we fail, and when we do, it's, it's gonna be important to let God's grace just kind of help us get through it. But I wanna suggest that God's grace, God's, God's ability to take us, because when we're sometimes feeling so defeated, like, you know what, I've, I've, I've heard people say this to me, you know, when it comes to God, I'm kind of like damaged goods, you know. I really, I really don't feel like I'm, I, I have much to contribute. So these things have happened, et cetera, et cetera. But God is a God of second chances. I mean, God has an amazing ability to just do, by his grace, open up new possibilities. But oftentimes that grace, listen, is mediated, and here's the second piece, it's mediated through people and I need to, we need to say this. We need to thank the Lord for the Barnabases of our life, right? I mean, the people that along the way, I'm talking about the encouragers who along the way put their arm around us every now and then and say, hey, don't give up. It's okay. You know, when you think of the word encourage, it's a, it's a soft word. I know it is. You know, like they encouraged me or it was very encouraging. But at its core, that word actually is strong. What is the center of the word encourage? Courage, courage. It's about imparting courage into someone. It's about lending strength to face something. Now, a lot of times when we're very, we feel defeated, we feel, we feel powerless. We feel like we, we, we have no ability to really make it through that. We're feeling maybe sometimes beaten down by our own failure. Sometimes we feel like we've let ourselves down, let people we love down, we've let God down. And so just kind of give up. And in that place, to have someone come around us and encourage us is huge. It really is to have someone say, I believe in you. You know, I've been encouraged by a few people in my life. I think about people who at key times have tried to just speak life into me. You know, a lot of times when you're in that place of brokenness, you just, the last thing we really need is someone to just say, you know, come on, do better. 
really need somebody to just put their arm around us like Barnabas did and say, you know what, God, God's with you, you know, it's going to be okay. We can make it. We can make it through this. Let me pray with you. It's why we talk about the value of community. Because oftentimes, key friendships and relationships that develop out of serving together, sometimes just serving together, being a small group together, creates an environment for people to be able to share their lives in such a way that we can be there for one another when we need it. Because not all of us are going to be strong all the time. The Bible says there are going to be times when we fall. Woe to the person who is alone when they fall. The Bible says the person who isolates themselves seeks their own judgment. It says the person who, when they fall, when they're alone, is, is like, you're just totally vulnerable. Two is better than one. Three-full cord, the Bible says, not easily snapped and broken. It has strength and power in it. The ability to pray, because not all of us are always going to be doing well. Sometimes we're doing well and someone else isn't, as, as maybe they're having more of a struggle. We're there for them. You know what I have to say to people? It's, it's amazing, because one of the best ways for us to think about this is who here among us really doesn't want to be encouraged every now and then? Who here has not felt depressed or sometimes a little bit lonely or felt like a little bit of defeat finding its way in? Who hasn't struggled with failure at some level? Anybody who's tried to honor God in their lives has some places where they start to feel like, man, I'm dropping back into this thing again. And who here among us does not need at times someone to pray with us, believe in us, put their armories that were around us, or just say, let's pray together for God to do something amazing. Let's just not quit right now. That's like, a, that's like a gift of water sometimes. Sometimes we're so hurting that just to have someone say, you know what, we're going to get through this. The goal right now is, is to survive, and ultimately we will thrive, but first we must survive. And as we do that, we pray together, we gain strength from one another. You know what I often say? The people who have been most encouraging, be thankful for them. But also remember, the same way we want to be encouraged, are we trying to encourage other people? Are we the person we want others to be to us? Do you know what the Bible says? That the one who encourages, the one who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. One of the best ways to get out of a funk, out of a, out of a trough, an emotional trough, that we start to feel like we're getting, the more we dig, the deeper it's getting. And the more suffocated it starts to feel, and the more hopeless. And one of the best ways to break out of that is to choose with God's grace to bless someone else. Out of that, oftentimes, one of the real critical pieces beyond having others just kind of praying with us and believing with us and speaking grace over us is to, is to actually make a decision to bless someone else. And it often breaks us out of this kind of pattern of being stuck. And I'm saying it goes totally the opposite of what we want to do in those moments. Because what we want to do oftentimes is just pull away. And But the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. It sort of like breaks things open. Now, there are times where we're going to need Barnabas. Is this last one? It's going to almost sound like it's a contradiction. It's not. Just hear me out on it. I'm going to suggest that there are also going to be times that we need to thank the Lord for Paul's in our lives too. And I'm talking about the tough lovers. That's how I'm describing him right now. I think that honestly we need sometimes people to be able to say to us, you know what, okay, <sighs> you know, we need, to be, we need to be real here. There's times where we just, we just needed someone to be, come around us and, and just, speak, just speak hope into us. There are other times where I can just tell, I can tell you we need someone to speak tough love to us. I'm not talking about humiliating. I'm not talking about demeaning. I'm not talking about 
levels of, of negativity that are oppressive. What I am talking about is someone who will challenge us to pursue the things that we say we believe and to not quit when it gets hard and part of us wants to run away. To be able to follow through on our good intentions and to pursue the ways of God, to get back up. Sometimes we do need to have someone who says, look, there are consequences to decisions. If you take this, if you make this choice, this is what will happen. Let us pray for strength to do what is right. When a part of us wants to run, there are times where we need people to, to tell us the truth in love. Love is not, as sometimes our culture may define it, as always giving a pass to everything. There are times where true love is absolutely honest and sometimes will even risk a relationship because it needs to live in honesty and that things cannot get better until they get real. And that a lot of times has happened in my own life with God. What I've found that some of the times I've been benefited most has been from hearing someone say, you know what, that may be, and it may not be that, I'm, uh, that we're doing something wrong. It may just be that, are you really living into what God's calls you to be? Or are you settling for a mediocre walk with Christ? And there's been a couple of times, and those things have been said to me, sometimes directly, but a lot of times they're said to me when I'm reading something through a mentor I will never know personally, although I may know a part of who they are by their writing. They may no longer even be in this world, but their writing and their expression of their heart lives on and compels me to want to do better as a follower of Jesus, to not settle and give myself the easy out. We also need people who will not, who will not say, just take the easy way. It's both. It's not one to the exclusion of the other. I'll tell you this. I think John Mark was shaped by both men. When it was all said and done, I think the man he becomes is a product of both things. Someone who encouraged him and believed in him and patiently worked with him, and also someone who reminded him, and he could never forget it, that there are consequences to our decisions sometimes. We need to learn from them and resolve not to do those things again and to change how we got to that place. So next time, I'll tell you this right now. With John Mark, and I talked to my kids, I told my children this, hopefully I honor my own words. I said, you know, for the most part, principally speaking, once you make a commitment, don't quit. Because quitting can become habitual. And once we do it, when the pressure is on, we can do it again. And God wants to teach us, to train us, to prevail in our commitments, especially when we know God wants us to keep them. And that is something that we learn, we grow into. We sometimes are going to need others to help us do this. In fact, I think we will almost all the time. This is usually not a life lived well alone. I keep saying that. That's why, I'm, that's why I believe it so much. That's why we talk about the community. That's why this is such an important time of the year. To embed ourselves in the Christian community creates the possibility of having both types of people in our lives. You see it? People who encourage us, people who challenge us to do better, to pursue what God's calling us to pursue. All right, let's pray. We'll close out because we've got the final song. The song actually talks about how the Lord is with us and at the same time it's kind of a metaphor for how we want to be sort of there for others as well. So it's direct context, it's spiritual about the Lord, but it also has kind of a relational overlay to it. We'll close with that. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for this uh, wonderful time that we've already been able to share in your words. And this series has been a real blessing. And I pray that we would also listen for ourselves to what you're trying to say to us because, you know, some of us might, might identify with someone more than the other here. 
Some of us might identify more with Barnabas, others with Paul. Some of us might even feel connected to John Mark. And it may be on the front end of John Mark's life where we might feel connected to the other side. But the bottom line is there are things for us to think about, to consider, to weigh out. But I pray at the end of this, there would become a desire in our heart to want to grow, not only as a person who loves you in a deeper and more honest, sincere way, but also as people who offer blessing to others. So heal our wounds, set us free, and for those of us who are on the good path, keep us running well. And let us, Lord, not just settle for the easy way, but follow in your way. Develop qualities in our lives, Lord, that would not have been there and would have not have come if it were not for your hand of grace and for the gift of others. I pray this, bless our closing minutes, bless the closing song, bless our time of giving. May you be honored in all these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.